It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. your sporting life with Peter Donegan. And it's great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man who has been a fixture in the Australian football scene for around about four decades and probably then some. Neil Craig, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Thanks thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. It has been a long journey, hasn't it? It's been a, it has been a long journey, um, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. And... Um, you know, even though I've uh, pretty much finished full time, I mean, I still I still want to be involved and, and do some work. But in terms, I'm probably looking for chairman's as Peter. Yes. So, um, but the game has been um, the game has been fantastic to me, and the game has been fantastic for me. So um, you you know, whilst you you are in a long time and you do work hard. Um, it's been more take than, than give, so I've been I've been very lucky. What's the reason that you've hung up the boots, so to speak, full time, Neil? Is it a lifestyle thing? Yeah, it's um, it's it's probably uh, Peter. It's, it's probably like uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 older player that gets towards the end. You sort of just know. Um, so what do you know? You know the older player knows because he starts starts to lose his feet at contests. He starts to miss that inside forty five kick that he normally hits. Uh, it takes longer to recover, <laughs> um, so it's sort of a bit of an analogy like that. So, uh, and it's it's the industry now is so intense, um, and I, and I mean that in a in a positive manner, that you you need to be operating you know on the red line all the time, um, and I I just know that the conversation I would have have with a player, if I detected he wasn't operating at one hundred percent. Uh, I know what that conversation would look like and sound like, and so um, you know I'm no different. So it's it's never one factor, but so there's a, there's a lifestyle, uh, there's a family, um, there's other things I want to do with my life. Um, so you you sort of just know, and and the time is right, and and the Carlton Football Club have been fantastic in in receiving that decision, even though. Uh, there was a, a strong element of um, letting Brendan Bolton down because you know it wasn't it wasn't fixed in stone. But the general the general feeling was a sort of a three to five year sort of situation. Um, but uh, anyway, that's 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 been dealt with, and uh, they've been very supportive, and I've, I've appreciated the way they've uh, they've um, you know had the communication with me. We're of a similar age, Neil, but one of the things that I guess we do at our age is we deal with a lot of young people, and you talked about Brendan Bolton. I, I guess that's one of the joys of your job at the moment is still dealing with a young man like that who you can identify with because he's in the big chair, and also those players. Sometimes when you deal with younger people, it keeps you young. Oh, no doubt, there's no doubt about that, Peter, and that, that will be one thing that I um, I will miss, and it'll be one thing that I'm conscious of that I, that I need to... Um, to stay involved with uh, that age group because it does keep you young, you know, and it sort of keeps you abreast of how they think and the way they um, 
communicate and uh, and slightly all, confusing sometimes. Sometimes, but uh, but it's refreshing. As I said, you've been involved in the game at the top level for forty odd years more. Does it wear away at you mentally as you get? a little later in life does it chip away at you is there, is it something that you've seen the signs of that has taken its toll at any stage because it is it's a pressure environment and mm. it's unrelenting it is um it's a it's a great environment to work in though peter so i, I mean hopefully the listeners don't don't get the wrong idea here about afl environments it's a fantastic environment to work in um worldwide it's recognized you know, AFL, the AFL playing environment and uh, the AFL clubland is recognised worldwide in the in the way they go about it. Uh, the standard of coaching, the uh, the applied nature of sports science, um, uh, the quality of of the medical treatment. So, um, it is it is a great environment to work in. Uh, but I remember I remember one day when I was coaching Simon Goodwin towards the end of Simon's career. Um, and Simon came to me, and, and, and I was coaching the Adelaide Football Club at the time. And I, I remember Simon saying, "Craigie, physically, physically, I can keep going. Mentally, I don't want to do it anymore." And what he meant by that, I, I, I don't want to have the ice baths anymore. I don't want to do the warm-ups anymore. I want to play, but I don't want to do all the other stuff that enables me to play really well. Mm. And so he was obviously, from a reflective point of view, really honest in his assessment. And, of course, when you, when you think like that and you know that's the way you're thinking, that's uh, because things change in your life, Peter. Uh, priorities change. Um, and it can be a whole range of things depending on the individual. Uh, but once you know that, you know it's time. And that's, that was no different to me. I didn't, as I said, I didn't want to have the ice bath anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Stewie Lowe, who was a guest on this program a few weeks ago, said exactly the same thing. He said the realisation came to him one day when he was down at the baths. I always remember a quote from the great Shane Warne. Yeah. And he said, as much as he loved cricket, he said, I knew that there would be one day that I would wake up and I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And he said, and that day arrived, and there was no going back on it. Yeah, and uh, no, and that's right. And, and you have an obligation to the sport um, that if you feel like that, you need to go. And you have and it's not only the sport, but you have an obligation to the players you deal with. In my case, um, with the roles that I uh, were doing, was, was doing and, and finished with in the last probably um, six years, um, you have a responsibility to the coaching group that you're working with, you know, because they need to be developed to the highest level as well. Uh, and so all, all Stuart's talking about, all Simon is talking about, is that they no longer want to make that ultimate commitment. Um, and what Shane's talking about, they don't want to make that ultimate commitment anymore. They want to go on to something else in their life where they will make that ultimate commitment. Mm. You know, so they they sort of uh, they're still looking for that to get involved in something which they're passionate about because you crave that feeling. That feeling, um, I'm sure you've got it. With with I picked it up in your eyes when we were talking about your golf. Yeah, it's a passion for you. You know, and you want to be the best you can possibly be at it. You start it seven in the morning and you come home at eight o'clock at night you're doing some homework about the next day on golfers because you love doing it yeah um and 
uh, that's that's a really important. It's sort of like a bit of a high purpose about why you do things. And so all, all I'm saying for the people listening is that my high, my higher purpose just at this stage of my life has changed, and uh, I'll I'll find something I'm sure it'll be it'll, it'll be related to family and, and some travel and still being involved in high performance sport. But it'll be a high purpose and it'll be and um, I'll jump into it and it'll be, I'll be passionate about it. One of the things you're doing at the moment, Neil, is you're helping to guide the future of the Gold Coast Football Club because you're on the panel that is going to select the coach. I know you can't talk about uh, specifics, but what is it that you're looking for? As, as an individual, what are you looking for from someone that will put the light bulb on above your head and say, this could be the man? Yeah. Well, it's been a really interesting exercise, Peter, for me. Um, you've got to honour the role of a senior coach. Um, and the senior coach's role in, in AFL football, which I, I know best... Uh, as a sport is all encompassing like you're the you're the face of the footy club uh, are you are you the most important person in the football club no are you the most influential yes <laughs> um, and what comes with that just by this just by the chair that you sit in the fact that you are now the most influential person in that football club becomes a huge responsibility so, uh, to try and answer your question, um, it is a it is a unique skill set. Sometimes you think you're looking for Superman, you know, that you can do everything, and and the reality is that person doesn't exist. Um, uh, people will evolve and and grow in the job. It was really interesting the other night. Um, Damien Hardwick spoke. I was just thinking the same thing. Okay, now Damien spoke. Um, if, were you at the night? No, but I heard his you, comments. You heard his comments, okay. Yeah. It was a really interesting night. Um, and for those people who didn't hear it, he admitted to the fact that he made a lot of mistakes last year. Mm. And he said that he had to change and he, he wasn't the person that he wanted to be. Yeah. And that's yeah. a hard thing to admit when you're in that position. Yeah, well, hey, what, what, what it said to me is that Damien's growing into what I call a, a senior leader. Because basically, what he was doing there was uh, was showing his vulnerability, um, and that takes a lot of courage to do that, um, you know, in the position that Damien holds. But that was an eight-year-old or guy that's been in the job for eight years, so I'm sure Damien wouldn't have even thought like that in years two or three. Uh, great credit to um, the the board, um, the president, senior management of the Richmond Football Club. Um, to obviously see a lot of really good qualities in Damien, to say no, this, this we've we've invested a lot in this person, uh, some really good qualities. Uh, does he need to continue to grow? Yes, he does, like we all do. Um, but we we're we're going to stand strong here. Um, I think it's Peggy O'Neill, the mm. yeah, um, great strength, great clarity, um, uh, calm calm about what was going on at the Richmond Football Club just behind the scenes. No no chest beating. Um, it's a bit like the Bomber Thompson situation, isn't it? I remember being down there in 2006 at um, Simmons Stadium. They got touched up by North Melbourne and that was the time, I think Adam Simpson had 40 that day. And that was the time when everyone was saying, well, it's time for a change. But they looked inside and they changed a few things and they had the courage of their conviction, yeah. uh, convictions to stick to the man who they yeah. thought was the right person. Yeah. And as it turns out, they were definitely right. Yeah, yeah. So that's becomes that's where your, your whole... Um, your leadership of your football club 
Peter becomes really important. So Brian Cook would have been involved in that yeah. decision. So once again, you know, the quality of, of Brian Cook to to be probing, um, to ask the right questions, um, but also to know exactly, you know, uh, what he was looking for, um, understanding that people do grow and, and we all need some help in, in, in the job and situation. So it's, it's, it's a tough job. Um, to go back to your question about what you're looking for, the, the, uh, it's, it's a different skill set to a, to a line coach, completely different. And um, that's why the throwaway line, I think, uh, to, to have coached your own club at some stage, is it a necessity? No, it's not, because there's, there's lots of guys coaching AFL football at the moment, senior coaching, who haven't coached their own club, but a lot of them also have. And all that, all that, all that does for you in terms of your development and growth is you become the decision maker. You're the you're the decider, and that's one of the great leaps that you make. See, when you're a line coach, you're an ideas man or, or lady. Is I got an idea, Peter? I, I think this might happen, or this could happen, or we should train this drill, or uh, we should pick this player, and here's some evidence for it. Um, but you decide because you're the senior coach. Um, so you're you're the, you're now the decider. And uh, when you're the decider, it really it really does delve into your coaching philosophy, uh, which will which which sets guidelines and principles for your decision making. And if that hasn't been uh, well developed and reflected on and fine tuned, uh, you can make poor, really poor decisions. That coaching philosophy you're talking about, Neil, when you were in the chair at Adelaide, you were well known for the zone defence. You you were one of the ones who pioneered, I think, the zone defence in lots of ways. When you're looking for a coach, do you look at someone who is tactically astute or do you place more stock in the fact that here is someone who is going to be the chief executive in charge of 40 people who are aged between 18 and 30 and you need people management skills as much as you need tactics? Yeah, there are certain things that only the senior coach can do. Yeah, he needs to have a he needs to have a clear picture on how he wants the game played. Of course, he does. Otherwise, you become very wishy washy. Does he have to be the expert in that area? No, he doesn't. If he's not, and initially you get the job because you be, you have a degree of expertise in a particular area, uh, but it doesn't mean you've got the whole area covered. That's where your selection of people to put around you is is critical. But um, senior coaching role is about understanding the higher purpose of your footy club. What does it mean to the community? That's really important to understand that. You need to be able to set the vision, particularly for the football department, where, where you're going. So you are the keeper of the vision and you need to be crystal clear on that. And the, and the classical one is, well, the vision is we want to play in a winning grand final. And so that's okay, but then what does what does that look like? How do you go about that? So what's your, once you've got your vision, uh, tell me tell me about your plan and what will winning look like without the scoreboard when you first start? Because there's a chance when you actually t- when you get involved in an AFL football club, it's very unusual that you'll take over from a really strong club. And so the scoreboard, which you know people outside the football club, that's the only really judgment they've got to a certain extent. So internally, and the senior coach has to have this very clear picture about what will winning look like if I took the scoreboard away? Will it be about our team meetings and more people being involved and, and more players being prepared to speak up and and, uh, and be participants in the meeting? Is it about an increase in our leadership density? Is it the fact that players now will get on telephones and, and help membership, so a collaborative aspect? So there's this throwaway line of uh, a club needs to develop 
premiership habits that are ingrained before you become a premiership club. And if you haven't got a clear picture and an understanding of how important that is in an AFL football club as a senior coach, uh, good luck. It's daunting. It's a tough job. As I said, you're, you're looking for someone that's got that blue cape on the big red S on their chest called Superman. Yeah, changing the phone box around <laughs> <Yeah>. the corner. <laughs> There's a bit of that going yeah. on. <laughs> it's fascinating to get your insights for someone who's been in the game for such a long time. We'll take a break, Neil. When we come back, we'll talk about where the journey in football began for you in South Australia. Neil Craig is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Great to have one of football's most recognisable names. Neil Craig is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Neil, take us back to playing the game and more than 300 games in the SANFL. It was a decorated career. Where did the journey in football begin for you? Uh, well, it began for me on, on a, a country, South Australia, Peter. Um, not many people listening would probably know it's uh, on a place called York Peninsula which if you know South, the state of South Australia it's a thing that looks like a foot um, and there's a town right in the middle of that called Maitland and um, I was brought up on a farm so I actually started my career playing for the Maitland under 14s I think it was and I started when I was about 9 I remember I remember my first game and I was on the well, I was on the interchange in those days, but it wasn't called interchange. I was a reserve. And the coach came over and said, "I want you to go to the forward pocket." So I took off, and I got. I remember I didn't quite know where I was running. I got halfway out on the ground, and I thought to myself, oh, "I don't know where the forward pocket is." So I had to run back and ask the coach, "Where, where is it?" <laughs> um, so I remember my first game ever, and I loved. It. I couldn't believe the when I when I reflect the emotion that I had in the back seat of the car going down to my first game. It was just unbelievable. I was going to play my first game of footy but anyway um, uh, fast forward and uh, I've, I've, I was lucky enough to be re recruited as a 13 year old by the Norwood Football Club and that was um, from 13 to about 17 years of age were probably some of the best years of my life when I when I when I think back on it, um, the Nord Football Club um, uh, they had a president called Bert Balderstone and a coach called uh, Robert Odie. The Odie the Odie name is a very famous name in in SNFL football. In yeah, South with Australia. Jack Odie. Jack Odie and Robert Robert is yeah. one of the sons of Jack and and Robert was coaching the Nord Football Club. Famous player, um, fantastic to me, absolutely fantastic. But the club was in a recruiting stage. And back in those days, you could recruit. had zones in Adelaide, but the country zones were just open slather. So you could go and recruit anyone. Bert Baldstone had built a boarding house up in Kensington Gardens, uh, which was had the capacity to, uh, I think it was about 22. You could actually um, board 22 players. So I came down to the boarding house as a 13-year-old um, and, and lived in this boarding house uh, with my brother. Uh, there were 22 of us in the house. We had a house mum, Mrs. Butchard, who was Gil Butchard's mum, and Phil Carmen's mum okay. was there. And they took a liking to this little 13-year-old because mm -hmm. I was the youngest. The next oldest was 17. So I'm, I'm in this environment, Peter. You can imagine what's going on uh, with 22 guys, 17 up upwards, and I'm a 13-year-old. I mean, I had to grow up pretty quickly, and I saw all sorts of things that I probably shouldn't have seen as a 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was, it, was, um, it was a great time, and I started playing in the underage at Norwood. Then I started playing league football at Norwood, uh, and... That was back in 1972 or three. I think I started as a 17-year-old. And then I went to the Sturt Football Club uh, and played under Jack Odie. 
Now, people often often ask me, why did you do that? And I think the overriding reason is it might have been the, the initial stirring of me as a coach, a, a curiosity, because Jack had this, this mystique about him highly successful coach he and actual Foss Williams Mark Williams dad so it was a Williams um, OT type era Mm. Um, uh, multiple premierships for Port Adelaide multiple premierships for Sturt so I got to play under Jack uh, for three years I think it was and it was just uh, I mean playing under Robert your first coach you always remember at at a really high level and Robert was fantastic for me still is still is to this day playing under Jack uh, really had a significant effect on the way I think about football Peter uh, so it was it was a big it was a big learning environment for me and uh, just the way Jack conducted himself, which back in sort of the the eighties, uh, way before his time, even just by the way he spoke to you, you know, it was uh, respectful, uh, had high standards, uh, a great technician of the game, coached the fundamentals really hard, but to a really high quality. Sturt were known as a really skillful side, and that was because of his coaching, attention to detail in the in the in the nuances of of technique. Um, from there, I went from Sturt to North Adelaide, uh, where my, a guy called Michael Noonan was coaching. Uh, Michael was probably out of the school of a Jack Odie, uh, but had different characteristics, and I really enjoyed my time there as well. Came to Fitzroy at one stage, Michael. He did, he, he did coach yeah. Fitzroy, yes, right, for yeah. uh, maybe two years, I think, towards the end of before Fitzroy um, amalgamated. Um, I finished at North, and I remember nearly within a week, a guy called Wally Miller, who was um, uh, the general manager of the Norwood Football Club, uh, rang me and said, would I like to would I be interested in coaching the Norwood Football Club, which is where I started. So I sort of did a full circle. Mm. And it was a really important time for me because I'd been to Norwood, Sturt and North Adelaide. And what happens there, Peter, is you become a bit of a nomad. And, and if, I look, if I look at my history, it's probably it's a, it's a bit of a, a trend. And you sort of say, well, why is that? Well, there's, there's a curiosity factor. Um, I look for new stimulus a lot. Um, I love to learn. And so each of those environments um, gave me that opportunity to see a different environment, to experience different coach, ways of doing things. But what it did do, of course, is that I felt this lack of, um, when I finished at North, I felt this lack of sense of belonging, interesting enough. So when Wally rang me, of course, it, it brought me back to the start. So it was, it was, that was, that's where I started my coaching career at the Norwood Footy Club. So uh, I coached there for five years. Part-time, I was working full-time at the South Australian Sports Institute and working with another coach at that stage called Charlie Walsh. Yes. <laughs> which we can get on to. Uh, and which, we will. Which is also, he also had a huge influence, a huge influence on the way I think as a coach. So how does that equate from a sport like cycling mm. compared to a sport like football? Where are the parallels? Where's the common yeah. ground? It's probably, it goes back to what we spoke about before in terms of, uh, like Charlie at that stage was uh, the senior coach of cycling. Not for not for a uh, club, but for Australia. So it's another level. Again, I know when Charlie took over, he um, Australia was sort of the laughing stock on the world stage. In, particularly in track cycling. I remember walking into a stadium in uh, 1986, I think it was in Vienna, and you could nearly hear the rest of the world snigger. That here come the good time Australians. You know, they're good people, funny, fun-loving, have, have a lot of fun with them, tell jokes, they don't win. 
five years later, I remember going into a stadium with Charlie and you could hear, you could nearly smell the fear that the Australians are here. So I was able to live in an environment, even though I didn't know it at the state at that stage, I was I actually got exposed to an environment that went from worst to first on the world stage. That was a great reflection piece for me when I started coaching to say, well, how'd that happen? And you then all of a sudden these uh, the different situations come back to you in terms of just Charlie's messaging was um, when he fir- when he first took over he made it really clear that the days of just being satisfied to be selected to ride for Australia were gone. It was now when you got selected you were expected to win for Australia. So just that message in itself and everything that goes with that message uh, it's a different connotation altogether. So. Um, vision, how we're going to do it. Uh, it was in an era of uh, performance-enhancing drugs, particularly in cycling in that time. Very strong conviction from Charlie that we weren't going down that track, but we still were expected to win. So how are we going to do that? Well, we went to technology. We went to quality of training. We went to training at altitude in the heat. The East Germans couldn't believe the volume and the intensity that our cyclists were doing and, and being put through in actual fact you know they probably th- I'm sure they thought that we were on performance enhancing drugs because you can't do that unless you're on it but um, so Charlie just that's innovation this is just a different form of thinking so standards um, competitive a competitive will and spirit to just keep finding ways to to get things done attention to detail all the all the classical all the classical characteristics of what um, AFL would now call that's a high performance environment so I, I was able to live that as a as a relatively young man and you know as I said to you at the start of this conversation that had a huge impact Mm-hmm. on the way I, I believe coaching should be. You've talked about your time in the SANFL and, and with Charlie as well. I think the first time I spoke to you, Neil, was not in a studio face-to-face like this, but it was after the, I think it was the 98 flag when you were at the Adelaide Crows. And I remember I was doing a program for C7 and you came into the studio in Adelaide and you were with John Reed. Yeah. I think it was safe to say that John was suitably refreshed. After the flag, yep. as you would be. Yeah. What about that how was, time? How, how was I going? Oh, you were better than John, but <laughs> I think you're still showing some signs of wear and tear. But you're entitled to when you win the flag. Uh, in this part of the world, we don't understand how big that was and is in Adelaide. And we're talking a couple of days before the 2017 grand final. So it's a feeling that they may experience mm. again by the time people hear this. Mm. How big was that in Adelaide? What did that mean for that? city and that state well it's it's huge if if i could um for a little period of time i you know if i could take and just leave two teams here in victoria uh the people in victoria would get a feel for what it's like Mm. um because you've got the whole state barracking for a couple of teams uh clearly uh you know the mantra of the adelaide football club was we're we're you know we're the club for all South Australians until another club came along as well. Yes. So there's great rivalry in the in the city of Adelaide, and for me uh, to having coached in that environment, it, you reckon that hardens up a bit because uh, it's relentless. Um, so as again, when I reflect on the experience of it, it was it was I probably couldn't have got a better environment to coach in. What does it mean to the state? Um, 
I don't know, it just uh, it gathers everyone. Um, this, this just goes to another level. It affects the mood of a state. We'll talk about your time as a senior coach in Adelaide when we come back on the other side of the break and your time in the big chair. Neil Craig is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. More with Neil after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it's a pleasure to have Neil Craig as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Neil, when you got into the big chair in Adelaide after Gary Ayres and you took over, we often think about the rivalry that Sydney and West Coast had at that particular time. But there was a great rivalry between Adelaide and West Coast and they were probably your nemesis in a couple of finals. Did you underachieve, do you think? Should you have won a flag in that time? Um, It's an interesting question, Peter, and you sort of... um you know, being involved closely with that situation, obviously the senior coach, you you go through all those sort of, you know, what ifs, questions. Personally, I, I walk away saying I gave it my best shot. In a lot of ways, we overachieved because I know mean, when, I, when, when I first started at Aslo Football Club, it, uh, the squad we had apparently was no good. <laughs> and yet we were able to get to a prelim final. Mm-hmm. Um, um, no, I don't, I don't have any, any regrets with any of that. Uh, we gave it our best shot. What was your proudest moment as coach of the Adelaide Football Club? Um, it's re- that's a inter- really interesting question. Um, a lot of it was some of my special moments, Peter, were not necessarily... There were some fantastic wins. Like, I remember our first final against Port Adelaide. It was an important game for the state and it was an important game for both clubs of the state. So to have the had to have success in that was, was, a, special, was a special day for the Adelaide Football Club. And then off the field... The capacity for Simon Goodwin to remain in the football club, you know, when Simon got involved with the gambling situation, I think was an important part. I'm, I'm, I was really proud of the Adelaide Football Club to to hold ground on that and to enable to enable Simon to stay in the football club. In actual fact, end up being the captain of the football club. And it's really interesting where Simon's ended up now and, and, and I'm sure uses that time at his football club as a great reflection as a senior coach now. Um, the, the Andrew McLeod, Tyson Edwards was a tough time. That's it for Adelaide people would remember that. Yeah. How did you manage that? Yeah, that was a, that was a really interesting one. That that tested uh, that tested my philosophy in particular, Peter, to the core. Um, because you know there wasn't a there wasn't a right answer with all that. Both outstanding players, natural fact, both ended up being 300 game players mm. for the Adelaide Football Club. That's that's the quality of uh, of player we're talking about. But the football club was in danger of fracturing. Yes, it was. Um, yes, it was, and uh, that was really interesting because I guess what I called upon there, from a coaching philosophy perspective, uh, and I mentioned it when I finished uh, at North Adelaide, was this lack of belonging, and so. Um, with Andrew and Tyson, I thought it was important they both finish at Adelaide because I thought that was um, a bit of a legacy that Adelaide could leave with them and I thought it would be important for both of those guys if they wanted to, to better walk back into the Adelaide Football Club and felt like they belonged there. Um, that wouldn't have occurred if one of them or both of them left the football club because um, I'd felt that myself. Um, so we... We made a decision that it was workable. Uh, a lot of discussions between Andrew, myself, 
Tyson and myself. And um, uh, some people would be critical of my final decision to, to, to stay with both players. I, I still believe it was the right decision on a bigger picture for those players for the Adelaide Football Club um, the way they conducted themselves on the field in particular was never it was never an issue for me as a senior coach not once did I see anything there that sort of raised my eyebrows um, so in some ways then was the decision that you made more about human beings than footballers yeah yeah and that's tough and I can tell with the emotion in your voice that even now, it, it means a lot, and it, it was a difficult time for you, clearly. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, but it was, as I said, it was um, it was the right decision. Hmm. And down the track, it's proven to be that way. Well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't I haven't spoken to Andrew or Tyson for a long time, but um, um, I'm sure I'm sure they. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure they uh, have really enjoyed the fact that they're able to finish their careers as a one club player, and not only as a one club player, Peter, but as 300, 300 That's that's a special club. Mm-hmm. Three hundred games at AFL football for one club is a special club to be in, and um, that's why I'm really proud of not not so much myself, but I'm really proud proud of the Adelaide Football Club that they're able to give that to two human beings. This gets back to what we were talking about before, Neil, doesn't it? That when you're the coach of the football club, you're a lot more than someone who moves the magnets around yeah. and tries to get the player standing in the right spot on any given day when you're playing football. It's a whole lot more than that. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that was nothing to do with magnets. Um, but both great players. Hmm. Both fantastic, great players and, and continued to play at a high level, um, you know, after that situation. Let's talk about your involvement with um, a couple of other clubs. Melbourne, when you went to Melbourne, uh, Jimmy Steins was quite ill. I think he actually passed away and at the time you were there. That was clearly a very difficult time for the football club. Yeah, it was, that was an interesting... Um, both my time at the three Victorian clubs, Peter, um, Melbourne, Essendon and just recently Carlton have been fantastic learning experiences for me. So when you when you reside in Adelaide and um, all I ever knew was South Australia and all I ever knew at AFL level was the Adelaide Football Club. Two things happen with that is that you think, you th- often think that um, the way that the Adelaide Football Club operates is the way all clubs operate. Occasionally you think that... Um, uh, what happens in the big smoke in Melbourne is probably 10 times better. So to come to Melbourne um, and experience three different cultures, if you like, has been a great finishing school for me. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Melbourne, it was nearly a perfect storm at Melbourne. There was the Jim Stein situation, uh, the Liam Jarrah situation, um, new coach, um, changing of the guard, um and New captains, young captains. Young captains, you know, and people say whether that's a right decision, wrong decision. So there was there was a lot going on in that. In that, uh, what I what I did sense at Melbourne though is I love their history. You know, it's the Melbourne Football Club in the city of Melbourne, mm. and I remember I used to um, spend some time across the road where the administration is. I remember Hassan Man used to come and watch training and come up and introduce himself to me one day. It was unbelievable. Great man, Hassan. Great man. I remember some of the greatest memories for me as a footballer was to go around and meet Ron Barassi. Mm. This is Ron Barassi. Legend. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. And to, to go and sit in a room with Ron and talk about football and was just a special moment for me. So the 
you know, the, the Melbourne Football Club uh, wrote the rules of the game. They started the game. So how lucky was I to, to experience that culture? Um, she was tough, you know, and uh, traumatic in the end, you know, with, with Mark Neild and, you know, who's gone on to do a fantastic job at, at Essendon. So there were great learnings there, you know, and uh, and at the end, you know, I was able to coach them for, for a period of time as the interim coach when Mark left. Uh, that was that was really interesting. Then the Essendon one, which is a different environment again. Now, you talked about perfect storm with Melbourne. It was an imperfect storm when you got to Essendon because it was all blowing up there. How close to the line do you skate in the pursuit of excellence you talked about Charlie Walsh before and and his viewpoint that you would never do it artificially how close to the line how much do you push the envelope when you're in a football club to get the advantage and do you occasionally stretch the envelope oh no I think it's um, in the end that's it's crystal clear about there's rules and regulations which you, you don't go past. I personally, Peter, have no evidence at all that there was any anything illegal happening at the Essendon Football Club. But I got there afterwards as well, so I'm not... Yeah. I wasn't... And I wasn't that interested when I went there to, to re-dig and find out about all that. Um, they'd been through enough trauma. In actual fact, they they went through more trauma when I left because then there was another decision that came down mm. that suspended players for 12 months. Did it hurt you to see those young men sitting around with so much uncertainty yeah. hanging over their heads for so long? Oh, it was a tough environment. But I tend to look at opportunity, and I saw Dyson Heppel grow during that time. I saw a guy called Zach Merritt come and have conversations and ask questions way beyond his years. I saw the strength of a Job Watson, the, the emotional toll it took on him, but I saw the strength of Job because of the love of the Essendon, I believe because of the love of the Essendon Football Club. I saw Xavier Campbell as a young CEO hold his ground and learn on the job. So it's it's the classical statement, Peter. If you if you're looking for the opportunity, it'll be there. But you've got to have a mindset that I'm looking for the opportunity. And I'm not wallowing in self pity and looking for all the negative. The negative is easy. That'll find you. Uh, that's not that's not the leadership opportunity. The leadership opportunity is to have a mindset. I'm looking for opportunities here where we can actually be better because of the situation. I'm going to say to you something that I've said to many of my guests. I wish we had more time, but unfortunately we don't. Are we, we done? Uh, no, we're not done. Oh, I've got more yet. We've got one more break to go. I want to put a couple of hypotheticals to you when we come back on the other side of the break on this grand final weekend. Neil Craig is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And we'll be back to wrap things up with Neil on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Our final segment in a fascinating chat with Neil Craig. Neil, you've talked about your involvement with the SANFL clubs, three of them, and with all of the clubs in the AFL. I haven't spoken about Carlton yet. Uh, well, yeah, we spoke briefly about your mentor role with Brendan mm. Bolton in some ways. Yeah. And I wish we had more time to explore it. But what colours would you wear? <laughs> Are you a Norwood man first? Are I'm you a Norwood a- man. Yeah, I'm a Nord man. I, I belong at Nord. Even more so than the Adelaide Crows in the big um, competition? Uh, we'll come to those in a minute. But I no, if in the SANFL, uh, because I started at Nord and I, I was able to coach Nord, and that was, as I said, that was a great gift that the Nord Football Club gave me. I have a great emotional attachment to the Nord Football Club. And what about AFL-wise? AFL, clearly I've got an emotional attachment to Adelaide. Yeah, and, and we can tell that. Yeah, I don't have uh, any hesitation in saying that. I mentioned before, Neil, we're talking in grand final week, but I should be upfront about this. We're speaking on the Thursday before the grand final. So when people are hearing this, 
they know whether Adelaide are the champions or whether Richmond are the champions. So I want to give you two hypothetical situations as a man who's been in football for so long. Richmond are now the AFL champions. What do you say to the Richmond fans about the feeling that they're going through now and what they're about to go through for the next week? What's it like for them? Well, I saw a bit of a... I didn't go to the game last week, but I I, saw, I reckon I can nearly hear it from... And I'm living in Hawthorne East, so to a certain extent, they've already experienced a bit of the emotion. It is another little level there, Peter. It's called winning grand final. Mm. You know, you, look, you, you see, it, it, it affects people. It affects their lives. It affects the way they think. It's the way they feel. You see, you see growing, you get close-ups in the crowd, growing human beings crying through joy. Just the sheer joy and the emotion and the excitement and what it means to them. Uh, with, and they're about to share that with their friends and because of the length of time that it's been since they've won a premiership. I think as Malcolm Blight said, but I haven't seen a bad I haven't seen a club do that badly yet who's won a premiership. They all we all enjoy it. So the other hypothetical Neil is the other side of the coin. Richmond supporters are waking up this morning. They probably felt as though the sun wouldn't rise in the morning the mm. day after the grand final, but mm. it has as they listen to this. Mm. What do you say to them about going through those emotions? Yeah. Uh, well, Jack Odie used to, uh, this is interesting, Peter, you talk about it. Jack Odie often used to say to me, yeah, you'll be right, young fella, it's not the end of the world, it only feels like it. But the sun does come up. Um, even now, those supporters of both clubs can feel extremely proud of their years you know, because of all the enjoyment that the, both those clubs have brought to them. They felt proud about their performances. Uh, Richmond would have felt great pride last week because of the energy and the and how hard they tried. People love to watch their team try hard and they, they gel to that and they bond to that. Um, and so if they wake up, um, it's they should appreciate what they've been able to experience this year and, um, and look forward to the start of next year and sign up again um, and go again because they expect that they would expect that sort of commitment from the playing group and their football club well, come on you're part of it we, the club would expect that of you as well. Get on board and let's go again, have another go at it. I'm sure that they are feeling those emotions that you spoke about one way or the other this morning. Neil, it's appropriate we should talk to you in grand final week uh, because not only have you been a wonderful figure in football in all sorts of roles as a player and a coach and a mentor to many people, but also your passion for the game has come through in your involvement in the game and in particular this morning. It's been a pleasure to sit down and have a chat to you. And now that life is about to take a different turn, I hope it's all enjoyable for you from here on in. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Peter, and I, I thank you for the invitation to come in. Neil Craig, a very special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, and we'll be back with more next week with another very special guest right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.